Electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's essential morning show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. All right, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod, Wall Street and Warren and the War of Words with pollster Frank Luntz. Right now, capitalism is only 15 points above socialism in terms of what the American people would prefer. Baseball legend Alex Rodriguez was a millionaire at 18. Now he's a CEO. I work so much harder at my business than I did at baseball. And weighing market risk with Bank of America's Savita Subramanian. If you look at the number of unprofitable IPOs right now, it's higher than it was during the tech bubble. Those stories and more from Xerox shopping for a new future. I don't know, do people still Xerox things? To SoftBank's cloudy vision. I think it's overrated to start with, right? I mean, making money. <laughs> I'm CNBC producer Katie Kramer. It's Wednesday, November 6th, 2019. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand Becky by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. We are live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is hosting the New York Times Deal Book Conference today with a huge lineup, including the CEOs of IBM, J&J, Boeing, Uber, Airbnb, Netflix, and many more. Our guest host is Savita Subramanian. She is the head of U.S. equity and quant strategy at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. And it's great to have you here today. Great to be here. Thanks. Lots of stuff to dig through. Lots, Lots of questions on. with the markets. We keep pushing higher. I know. It's uh, all-time highs, and, um, and we're closing in on the year. I think we've got, like, what, 39 trading days to go. Is that it? 38. Yeah, something like that. It's a very, very tight time frame here. Um, You know, I I think what's interesting about the market is that it's shrugged off a lot of the concerns around trade, around a new administration potentially, you know, coming next November. Um, But, you know, I I think one of the reasons the market's climbed higher is just really light positioning. I mean, we started out the year with everyone bracing themselves for a recession, and that mentality didn't really change. So I think that's just fueled this continued rally in the market. Xerox is uh, reportedly considering making a cash and stock offer to buy HP. The Wall Street Journal says that Xerox's board discussed the potential deal yesterday. The company has an informal funding commitment from a major bank. Xerox has a market cap of $8 billion. That's less than a third of HP's $27 billion market cap. Both of, uh, both of these, uh, these companies' former... Uh, technology stalwarts that um, you certainly wouldn't characterize either company as that uh, anymore. Xerox, uh, I mean, Xerox has already had a couple of falls from grade. It was the old Halloid Corp., remember? And um, I don't know, do people still Xerox things? Um, <laughs> I copy things. You copy like things. But it's faxing. It's gone the way of faxing. And they... Um, They've tried I, I, to keep I up. Xerox things more than I fax. I say. I, I, I HP's tried to that. keep up. I don't know. It's too, you know, it's like, help me, I'm drowning. No, you help me. And then, I don't know. Do they both, are they both able to hold each other? I'm not sure well, what, HP what shares were up. Happens. Well, no. Yeah. Uh, but Xerox somehow is the 
acquiring company within there would be a premium to HP's yeah. uh, market cap of 27 billion. I mean, I get I just get depressed reading this. Xerox uh, has already scrapped its 6.1 billion dollar deal to merge with Fujifilm, another uh, another growth area. I I should have never invested in all those photo mats. Uh, you know what that I mean? I thought those were going to be. I thought we'd always go there and turn in the uh, turn in the film camera. <laughs> You know, half the ones I turn in, they wouldn't give me back. I don't know. Don't you? Well, what kind of pictures were you Yeah, taking? exactly. <laughs> I'm kidding. kidding. They're like, oh, my God. Walgreens Boots Alliance. Is this me, too? Yeah, Walgreens Boots Alliance is exploring a plan to go private uh, in what could be the largest leverage buyout in history. This would be big. The Dow component has a market value of about $55 billion. Sources are telling CNBC one of the firms looking at a deal is KKR uh, and that Evercore Partners is exploring uh, whether a transaction could actually be uh, put together. Why do they want to go private? What's, I, I mean, I can, list, I can think of a lot of reasons maybe companies don't want to be public. What's the advantage right for, now? For Walgreens for right Walgreens. now with uh, health care in the background. In, in, in the elections, yeah. with everything else yeah. that's going on. Right, that's true. I mean, health care stocks have taken a beating, and you know they're probably uninvestable until we get closer to the election. You think I mean, that? A lot of pharmacy benefit things. In, I mean, there's a lot of changes on the horizon depending on what happens but they heard Elizabeth next Warren's November. Plan and they said, okay, let's go private. <laughs> I, I mean, the, the backdrop right now is confusing, daunting, and changing all, all at once, I, I would think. so. Every day you hear a new plan, but it's in the crosshairs. It's got bipartisan <laughs> criticism. I mean, cynically, uh, you could say, look, to respond to this, we're going to have to do some stuff we don't want people to really know about um, in well, public filing. You, you, you probably don't want investors who are nervous and who get hit, smacked left and right by the headlines Aren't on there, a continual basis. Isn't, so you can't do long-term planning. If, if you're out of the public markets, that's an advantage. It, who's the easiest person to blame for all of our health care costs all the time now? The middleman. We all talk oh, about the middleman, yeah. the middleman. Let's get rid of the middleman. Let's get rid of a lot of these companies the exist because a lot of them exist because yeah. they're middlemen. And I, I don't they? Yeah. And that's the immediately that's anyone so you ask someone on the street, what's the problem with what's how, how do we fix? And they'll probably be able to come up with the term middleman. You think that's it's why. the new HMO? Remember when HMOs yeah. were the... And they, I don't guys. think they were necessarily ever the bag. We still depend on HMOs they, yeah. to, to do, not do fee-for-service, no, but, but to that do... That was like during Hillary Clinton. Like that, that was the Hillary scary. Right, the, yeah, exactly. when she was going after health care for the, the thing. Did, and then HMOs it was Medicare, really Medicare Advantage, yeah. which is also probably not a bad thing either, but they all yeah. get... Blamed and blamed turned, at, yeah. at, at, depending on which side of the well, aisle. Costs are rising faster than inflation. Costs are rising. That's, that's a, a huge, huge issue. It's and a how huge we ever part get our of hands consumer wallet. I mean, what is it like? How much percent of your, what percentage well, of our wallet do we spend on? I, I think it's eighteen percent of GDP or something at this point. It's, it's headed huge. towards twenty-five. So. And, and I think that it's it's mandatory. But I mean, one thing that we noticed is in 2016, you really didn't want to touch health care until after the election. But then and it was goodbye. And then it was a great buy because a lot of this is just headline risk. Medicare for all. It's going to be hard to fund, you know, low probability of actually happening. But um, but the headline risk is enough to keep generalists out and, of the sector. And again, I can understand why a management team for a health care stock would be like, look, if we can afford to not be in the public markets. Let's exactly. Not. How are we going to do any long-term planning? Let's tell you about another big story this morning. After the close in Tokyo overnight, SoftBank reported its first quarterly loss in 14 years. We won't see the reaction in the stock until the Nikkei opens tonight. 
SoftBank's Vision Fund suffered a loss of about $8.9 billion from the falling valuations of top tech bets, including WeWork and Uber. The Vision Fund has invested $70.7 billion in 88 companies, and as of the end of September, those investments are worth $77.6 billion. It says that the value of its WeWork investment decreased by $3.4 billion just in the second quarter. J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon addressed the WeWork valuation issue yesterday in an interview with Wilfred Frost. Here's what he said about that high valuation and the lessons learned. First of all, I don't agree it had a $47 billion valuation because I would never say that because someone paid the last price, that's worth that price. But it's full that, and significant. That, yeah, I know, but that's not price discovery. Price discovery is when a lot of smart people around the world, knowing all the facts, can kind of buy and sell all the time. So I, I just think it'd be very cautious. They're all different. You know, some of these companies have unbelievable technology. Some, some are venture. They may work and not work. You know, some are, you know, trying to grow so fast that they cause cash problems themselves, but they have a good underlying model. So they're all different. But I think there are lessons to be learned about these valuations and how you go public and how you treat the public shareholder, et cetera. And so those lessons should be learned by everybody who wants to go public. Again, that's J.P. Morgan CEO Jamie Dimon with the comments on this. J.P. Morgan has gotten a lot of flack uh, because they, they were the ones who were going to be the lead on the, value, on the um, IPO for this. And uh, I guess the good news is this isn't something that actually made its way to the, to the retail public. Yeah. That's, that's exactly what I was just saying, <laughs> yeah. that these guys are eating it instead of the public. Right. right. That, that would have been right. a much bigger problem. It's yeah. interesting, though, because if you look at the number of n- unprofitable IPOs right now, it's higher than it was during the tech bubble. I mean, we're seeing more and more companies come to market that aren't making money. This is not a new story. So I think that that tells you a little bit of something about the, pub- the private market. Masasan was the one who was pushing growth at all costs, making sure that you got there, you won the market for the long term. Exactly. And they would be willing to tolerate losses to that point. People look at the mystique of Amazon and say, hey, Amazon mm-hmm. didn't make pro- didn't make." Profits and for they years. warned their shareholders. But yeah. Amazon never lost billions of dollars a year. Exactly. Depending on what happens next year, we may ban profits anyway. So it's, I mean, they're over, I think it's overrated to start with, right? I mean, making money. Uh, <laughs> People think you're serious when you do that. <laughs> she is serious. You're not. No, Elizabeth Warren is serious about banning profits. I mean, that might be an overstatement. but. but <laughs> little facetious. I think if you ask the average millennial, what do you think of the profit incentive that corporations have? They would say it's greed and it's a bad thing for society. They have no idea about Adam Smith. They have no idea about Milton Friedman. They have no idea about how the economy works. They have no idea where prosperity comes from, where tax dollars come from. They think that if you get rid of expenses in health care. That was the boomer generation when they were going through. That was boomers. That was, you know, the millennials are there are a lot of them. That's that's the difference. So I'm making a monolith. But you see the polls. Yeah, I, I see those. And, and there is a concern by a lot of people. Seventy percent think that some type of socialism or democratic yeah, socialism that, is a good idea. Seventy percent. That's new. But I would say the Look, younger generation. If, if you don't, these things, if not. you don't have the viewpoint that the private sector treats capital better than the public sector, it makes sense that insurance companies, that when you earn a profit, that could go towards giving people care. Other companies well, was, where, where they take, where they keep profits President for themselves, Obama, you could be President using Obama that. Obama looked at that when he was looking at Obamacare. Look at these profits that these companies are making. What goes through it? Uh, what I will say is that there are an increasing number of CEOs of leaders in business who are worried that 
at this point they're losing the battle, that they're looking like the bad guys and, and that people don't understand how business works, how capitalism works. I, I spoke with some last night who were very concerned about this, yeah. too, which is why they're, they're making that term with the BRT, trying to... Business it, it, roundtable, exactly. They look at it as an outreach program to try but and they're, educate. They're worried about the barbarians at the gate, but they have to you know, grow a spine. Okay, because well, it, 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 it them might makes right. Might makes right. What kindness? Kindness comes from lifting all boats and and from growing the pie right. so that you can use tax dollars. That that's to, what they're doing. I think they're trying to gently show people that that's what they're doing. They they may not have messaged really? it perfectly. And, You're right, Elizabeth. We won't do it anymore. No, but that, look, my point with what they've said on that, with taking care of all of your constituencies, that's something great companies have been doing for years and decades. Right, without having to talk about it in virtue signal. Yeah, but maybe true. it's a time to start talking about some. Of these things so we'll that see people if it works. are educated. Amazon's reportedly testing a feature that would allow its Echo Buds to track workouts. The headphones that were launched back in October uh, during a test run of the Echo Buds, uh, CNBC found a fitness section hidden in the software. What? We dug through and found I this. couldn't believe it. I was looking through the code. Um, that was written for these buds. Just to, just to familiarize myself simple. with the... <laughs> Was it in Python? It was a high-performance Pascal. <laughs> HTML. It was a Fortran. <laughs> I have no idea. No, uh, it was not me. It included options to track, uh, to track a workout, including steps and distance, and to create a fitness profile. If Amazon launches a feature, the one that seems to be hidden, are we sure? It's so weird. It would be the first, Maybe they, they put it in like a beta version of this mm. because they might eventually... Well, you leave a placeholder for it. You leave a placeholder yeah, I mean, for it. Okay. That, that wouldn't surprise me. There are things like with Tesla where they leave placeholders where they can eventually upgrade the software or give you more power mm-hmm. or different things over the Fly. airways. <laughs> right, levitate. Yeah, levitate. All right. Uh, it would be the first company's, uh, this for uh, Amazon's first foray uh, into the uh, fitness monitoring space. A lot of people think that's the future for companies like Apple. Apple. And, uh, well, the problem is there are so many companies that think it's the future that the question is, how commoditized does it become? Well, and, that would be good for the rest of us. The, right? right. It would be great if we could all be tracking these things and if you could take that record with you and if doctors could read it and hospitals could read it along exactly. the way. Absolutely. That's, that's great news for consumers, but the question is, how profitable will it be when all of the big players are jumping into there it? There you go with the, the profits exercise. again. You and your obsession with profits. <laughs> God almighty. Okay, let's go. All right, they're yelling at me. Who is? Who is? They're yelling gonna, at you? I'm not Help them. Evans? So you can yell at them. Oh, my goodness. Yell at him, Evans. Oh, it wasn't. It, was, it says it wasn't him. Let's go. Uh, it was you a minute and a half ago. Was it? Yeah. All right. Move it or lose it. Next on Squawk Pod, pollster Frank Lunds has a theory and some statistics about the socialism versus capitalism conversation that's captured the nation, or at least captured the attention of Squawk Box. The public thinks the rich don't pay their fair share, and they think the poor are taking benefits they don't deserve. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. You're listening to Squawk Pod. The debate over what an Elizabeth Warren presidency would mean for the markets continues. This week, Wall Street titans have weighed in. 
At the Greenwich Economic Forum on Tuesday, billionaire hedge fund manager Paul Tudor Jones had this to say. Our poll said if, the, if Elizabeth Warren was elected, the S&P would trade around 2250. I think it's at 3050 now. Uh, but I'm just saying her policies probably would, 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 assuming that they were implemented, probably would give you something like that. A little later on at the same event, a different billionaire hedge fund manager, Mark Lazary, shared a bold piece of advice. I think the best trade out there today is that you're, you should go short the market the minute it's clear that Warren's the nominee. And Jamie Dimon, CEO of J.P. Morgan Chase and a man who's publicly toyed with running for president himself, took on Senator Warren directly. She uses some pretty harsh words. Uh, you know, some would say vilifies successful people. So I don't like vilifying anybody. I, you know, I think we should applaud successful people. You know, a lot of people come to this company for opportunity and choice and success. We want that for everybody. That, now, that's a little bit different than paying your fair share and how the taxation system should work. That I completely understand. But I think we have to look at America was founded on free enterprise. Freedom and free enterprise are interchangeable. You can't separate them from each other. Senator Elizabeth Warren caught wind of Diamond's comments and tweeted her response on Tuesday, yesterday, writing that it's only fair that Jamie Diamond and, quote, his billionaire friends chip in to make sure everyone else has a chance to succeed. Here's Joe digesting this online exchange with our next guest, pollster and political strategist Frank Luntz. That was a very measured response from her. She's learning a little bit, I think, maybe, uh, and not, not to completely uh, vilify everything. But I'll just bring up one from years ago. Bono, the, the great um, singer in U2, said in certain parts of the world, you look up on the hill and see the rich guy in his house and you say, I'm going to get that guy. When you come to the United States, you look up at that guy in the house on the hill and you say, I want to be that guy. Is that changing? It is changing. And we are in a culture of punishing success because we feel that they made it through ill-gotten gains. Let me give you a couple of statistics. Right now, capitalism is only 15 points above socialism in terms of what the American people would prefer for their economic at, system. At what basis? 15 points What versus what? Uh, 57% choose capitalism, 43% choose socialism if they were forced to choose. And among the next generation, the millennials, mm-hmm. it's actually two-to-one socialism over capitalism. So we are not teaching our kids well. Second, if you change capitalism to economic freedom, it's the word. It's not the term. The problem is, if you change it, it's two-to-one economic freedom over socialism. The problem is the CEOs, corporate America, is not using the right language. They talk about a tainted word. They talk about profits when the public is prepared to pay for performance. These are simple changes of language. Second, is that the American people feel that there should be a safety net now, and this is a change over the last 20 years, that they believe that those who are poor or working class deserve to be raised up. The difference where Elizabeth Warren is wrong is that they don't want to take the top down. And that's a very great frustration. And we, we have a social safety, safety net. They want a better one. They don't think it works, but that's part of the frustration with Washington. You're sending all your money to D.C. The public thinks the rich don't pay their fair share, and they think the poor are taking benefits they don't deserve. And that is always the key question for me. Which is the higher priority? Making sure the rich pay their fair share, making sure the only people who collect benefits are those. What happens? The, uh, everybody becomes a, a, a millennial and the numbers for socialism go up or millennials finally learn something about the way the world actually works and they turn into 
what, for lack of a better word, what the people that are older than. I don't believe the millennials into. are going to learn from this. They're never going to. They're never going to be. Systems have failed. We us. did in the in it's, the seventies. One of the responsibilities of corporate America to go into public education to teach economics to 11th and 12th graders, to teach civics to 11th and 12th graders. And it's not happening right now. And we have no one but ourselves to blame. Those students who learn history, who learn government, who learn economics are much more well, likely Frank, let, let to believe in this. I, I don't know that we're teaching economics less than we used to. We I think, are. I think it may be. These are kids who grew up during the Great Recession. They watched what happened to their parents. They watched the promises that were made get yanked out from under them. And now they don't believe it. That's part of it, is that don't make promises you can't keep. Don't offer people pie in the sky. And that's exactly what a Medicare for All is about to do. It's about to say to everyone, you can get everything you want in health care. You can get your prescription drugs. You can meet with your doctor, get everything you want, and pay nothing. So, Frank, if you, had to, a lie. if you had to bet, you'd say Warren, uh, Elizabeth Warren becomes the, the Democratic nominee and she wins? I would bet that she becomes the Democratic nominee, and we are going to see a fight for the core but of the But you think American she can soul. win? I absolutely believe she can win, and it's up to your viewers, starting right now, one year out, we're exactly a year from the election, to adopt a different tone, different language, a different presentation to defend economic freedom. And if they don't, then you are going to see this collapse, because the American people right now, a majority of them support Medicare for all. A majority support a wealth tax. A majority support a 70% highest rate of income tax. The economic freedom advocates are losing as of November 5th or 6th, whatever today is, and they have one year to fix that. All right. Frank Luntz, uh, something to think about, uh, that's for sure. Uh, we do our best, um, but then I pay the price on Twitter. Anyway, thanks. Next on Squawk Pod, A-Rod hitting personal finance advice out of the park. There's two polarizing subjects that people get really shy about. We politics, politics and money in financial literacy yeah. and you see people shrink details of his new show on cnbc his journey in business and the mets new manager that's next imagine a beautiful afternoon the sun is shining and you get to enjoy it all because you just sat down on your john deere mower the smooth ride lets you escape into your yard intuitive controls make you feel like you're one with the machine and with attachments for every season you can enjoy it all year long we could keep trying to put you in the moment, but to really understand what it's like to drive a John Deere mower, you just have to get in the seat. Learn more at johndeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. At the UPS store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Is that okay? We're on the air. Yeah, all right. I know we're on the air. I'm just getting things squared away. This is Squawk Pod. Three, two, one. Up and Becky. Cue. Good morning, everybody. Welcome back to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew is at the DealBook Conference here in New York. In the meantime, we have an all-star guest host with us this morning, Alex Rodriguez, founder and CEO of investment firm A-Rod Corporation. Alex, it's great to have you here today. It's hard. I mean, he's a cleanup hitter, and here I am. 
So, so should, you can step in. You can step in for him. In what world is that? Is he? No. Uh, you're, okay, you can say that. That's nice. Uh, and we're we're coworkers now. We're colleagues. We are basically at CNBC. We're going to talk all about that. It, yeah. It's a great idea. Back for, in the game. Show. Yes, back in the game is a great idea. It's it's a great idea for, for to help people and to watch you do it too. It's, I think it's, it's cool. such an unfortunate thing, but it's an opportunity to educate, entertain, and hopefully inspire. But what I found is that great people, great athletes. Um, fall into tough times, and uh, they have the potential to be great, but they need the people, they need the process, they need governance, and uh, I think you'll be entertained and really educated with how people can lose up to $260 million. And back in the game, Alex helps ex-athletes and others, former entertainers, regain their financial footing. Uh, Here he is with former heavyweight champ Evander Holyfield. Tell me a little bit more about your house. Well, my house was 54,000 square feet. I paid for it in cash. You paid for it in cash? Yeah, I paid How for it. How much was that? Uh, it would cost me 20 million. Champ, what are some of the things you're doing today for income? Uh, personal appearance. Any idea, ballpark, how much you're bringing in? 20,000. What else? I know you're trying to sometimes uh, promote fights. I'm a promoter, boxing promoter. And What's that company called? Uh, a real deal promotion. They caught the person who was doing all these bad things. They put him out. Was they, someone taking money? Well, you understand, that's, 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 that's what usually happens. Mm. Now they relaunch and then we got new people. So we're trying to get it back right. When you don't have other bodies looking out for you, everybody taking something for themselves. Man, everybody was just stealing, man. They just stealing, stealing. Seems like you trusted the wrong people. I couldn't be struck immediately, Alex, was it's, it's not always going to be about the revenue side of the equation. It's going to be about the cost side. And that must be hard to tell people that you just can't live like this. That's I, right. I, I mean, what, does he, what are his options for the revenue side um, at this point? You know, a lot of times is not the revenue. We knew we got the revenue right. I mean, he made over $250 million. It's the people, it's the process. What can he do now to generate revenue? I mean, one thing about Evander, we walked all around the city, and the people of New York spoke. I mean, he is beloved. He's so well-known. Right. He's so famous. He's trusted. He's got a great brand. But instead of doing fire extinguisher or barbecue sauce, he's really get his brand that is still pretty solid and genuine. In today's world, you win by being truthful and genuine. Yes. And he's both. So we got him into some protein. We got him back into GNC and get him where his superpower and his brand can actually bring value. How about the expense side of the equation? What is he, how do you restructure all of his, uh, you know, the, the way he's living right now? His, his whole situation, uh, I would think you need to look at. Yeah, you know, his people, his process, and his economic alignment, and there was none there. <clears throat> I brought in my buddy, Marcus Lamonas, my high school buddy, and uh, we asked him, so tell us, champ, who manages your money? He did not know the name. He had to look in his phone and he said, oh, it's George. And, but he can remember who he fought when he was 12 years old, who, he, who was his trainer, who was his nutrition. I mean, first, last name. I said, we got to get you to know George better. And who is George, by the way? Alex, one of the things that has always impressed me about you is you became a millionaire when you were a teenager. How did you figure this out so quickly and so early? You may not have made every step right along the way, but I remember talking to you over 11 years ago when you were already a massive real estate investor. And I think you told me at the time you'd rather be on the cover of Fortune than on the cover of Sports Illustrated. You, you've known this for decades, what, what you kind of had a goal and a plan in mind. 
Becky, I learned by making a lot of mistakes. And I learned because I was a number one pick out of Westminster Christian in Miami as a 17-year-old. So I've had a lot of time to practice. Average career is five and a half years. I've played for almost 25 years. You know, you make 90% of your income as an athlete from age 20 to 30, and less than 5% of our 750 players have a college degree. So I'm not Joe over here, but I would short the stock. So one of the greatest competitive advantage that we have as athletes is we make a lot of money early. Well, who is the Warren Buffett, the Barry Sternlit, the Mark Lazary in your town? And go, go dollar per dollar and go take a 10 or 20 year ride. But you can't miss on these people. You need a championship, you need Mariano Rivera, you need Andy Pettit. Well, the same thing in finances. You need the Barry Sternlitz and you need the Warren Buffetts in your community or in any community to help you out. One thing that strikes me is a lot of the lessons um, from this can be applied to normal people, too. Absolutely. Just the idea of getting your house in order. Personal finance is not something we teach in high school. It's not something we teach in college. And I wouldn't say it's something that the American public in general is very well trained in. There's two polarizing subjects uh, when you go to a cocktail, when you talk with friends that people get really shy about. When you politics. Talk about politics. And money. And financial literacy. Yeah. Right? And you see people shrink. Uh, in both sometimes. Um, financial literacy, it takes practice, it takes discipline. The one thing about athletes and entertainers, they have the potential to be great business people, but you have to work at it. I, I work so much harder at my business than I did at baseball because I don't have a competitive advantage. I'm going up against really, really smart people with great teams, and my competitive advantage is my team has to be at an institutional level and has to do what they, you know, walk the walk every day. Talk about, uh, you've got, you had Evander. How many shows have you, have, have you done? I've done uh, one with Joe Smith and then four in oh, the season. So it's going to be four in the season. Who else? We have Brian, who you, who you mentioned. Uh, off camera, Brian yeah. Dunkelman. We know about Ryan Seacrest, who's everywhere, yeah. basically. He's on his I way mean, to be a billionaire. One. On his way to be uh, a billionaire. I have, I have no doubts. And he's on with, uh, with Kelly Ripley, among a million other things that he's doing. And Brian Dunkelman, you don't think of him as like an athlete that, that got you know, sort of taken advantage of or, or, or blew all his money or something. It's, but uh, it's a fall from a pretty high level to where he'd like... Some type of redemption, I guess. Joe, a lot of times, you know, Warren Buffett always says, you, you can throw 30% of your IQ out the door and you have plenty to succeed. And it's not that Ryan is so much smarter than Brian. Uh, it's just, you know, making decisions in real time. And Ryan obviously made the right decisions. I guess so. All right. Um, we, we're going to find out who else and, and how, I mean, I don't think you'd ever run out of people, would you? I mean, um, this could I be a long running. The, the phone is now ringing off the hook because they know we're trying to do the right things yep. and they're projecting in a good way and we're getting them back. I was going to say, with, a, with a Vander, finding these revenue potential places mm-hmm. for him, straightening up his brand, I mean, that's great. That's yeah. a yep. wonderful service to be able to do. And he's excited. He's re-energized and uh, he's having fun. We've talked a lot about late cycle um, worries and concerns in terms of the economy and the stock market. It, haven't we? Real estate sometimes marches to a different beat, and, and it might be more interest rate dependent. Is, is business good for you right now? Or were, were you harvesting or buying? Right I, I think a little bit of both. I mean, we, we try to sell three and buy one, but really be disciplined. And we made a decision at our company about three years ago to get really disciplined. 
But look, we're buying in secondary and tertiary markets, apartments, but we're also buying in New York City. And I'm still bullish long term in New York City. If you have a great piece of the city and you can double your money every seven years. Is that you're not playing in luxury necessarily? Not luxury. Yeah, because that's the market that has seen the most pressure in the New York Mm -hmm. real estate market. But other areas are are looking good. I I just think housing uh, looks healthy. And again, if if you're buying it right, if you're not over leveraging, if you have non-recourse debt, you know, you just pick up your coupon and not try to reinvent the wheel and just be patient. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, you know, can we talk a little bit about baseball? Let's sure. try a little bit. So we got the Mets and the, and the Yankees. They're, they're the local teams. And I, I mean, is it worth it to play for a New York team? Or I, I watched the way the New, York, the, the New Yorkers reacted to the Yankees, which had a great, they had a great season. But, I mean, the, they get very angry very quickly when they yeah. don't win every year. It, is it worth it? To, the, the ups and downs? Are, which of course. Are, the, the, it first is. of all, there's no greater city in the world and to play for the Yankees and I'm sure it's this way for the Mets yeah. uh, is the greatest franchise in the world. Now, the Yankees for the first time since the 1920s have not made a World Series in a full decade. Oh, now, I'm sorry. I'm from <laughs> Cincinnati. Okay. Do you heard of the Bengals? <laughs> yeah. In New York, you know, a decade is like a century. So, you know, obviously it's a different game and a different expectation. And Beltra, what do you think of the Mets? Gonna, people, I, I could sort of become a Mets fan. It would be tough for me with the Yankees being from Cincinnati. <laughs> but but uh, maybe the Mets. Well, Carlos, first of all, is one of my best friends. I, I Carlos that, was yeah. my teammate. Carlos, I've been mentoring him since he was, you know, 19 years old and he walked into the league. He got my agent, my business manager. Like, he literally followed all the way. And he's just been a great student. And now he's a great teacher of mine, right? I mean, yeah. how the world turns. But... You're talking about a very, very wealthy man, a good investor, philanthropist. He lives here with his wife, with Jessica. He's the perfect guy for the Wilpon family. He knows New York, and he's a world champion. And we try to get one more thing in, because it, 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 I think it's going to change the way sports is, is viewed. And we know that you can't DVR sports, so it's always going to be great for advertisers. If people start getting engaged with just small bits of gambling, like FanDuel or DraftKings, have you done anything there? I, I, I have DraftKings now. I, I bet on nine college games, and I, I can't. I need more screens to watch. You're from Cincinnati. You and Pete Rose. You guys are. <laughs> oh, man. We have a street named Pete Rose Way uh, in, in Cincinnati. Was anyone, did anyone hustle more than him? He's, he, I mean, one of the greatest players of all time. It's unbelievable. I, I love Pete. I mean, he, he became a very good friend. He's wacky show. now. On t- I like watching him on TV because anything can happen. But, right. Joe, you know what? He's Thank a you. baseball savant. Yeah, like me. Baseball savant. <laughs> yeah. And he has the memory of a hedge fund trader. He does not forget an a bat, a pitch, a sequence. Huh. I love the guy. But what about everything being marked up? Teams being marked up? All valuations being marked up based on legalized gambling. Is that, am I wrong about that? Look, if, if you can buy an NFL team, even if it's expensive, I like it because obviously the model is really, really good without the guaranteed contracts. Um, it's expensive. Look, people are paying big money for these teams. They don't generate a lot of cash flow. Yeah. You have to have staying power for decades. You know, Jerry Reinsdorf said, when you buy a team, you try to lose or make $5 million, take some pain. But over 15 or 20 years, you should do well. And Jerry's done very yeah. well. And so I have many I think fan engagement just, just goes up uh, a lot. And I don't know how many states are going to finally do this. And I don't know whether there's a downside to it. Uh, but, Joe, you see what fantasy football has changed the NFL. Right. There's so much interest. Yeah. Um, baseball is the ultimate gambling sport. You can gamble on every pitch. There's 300, 400 pitches per game. Yeah. And it's a lot just, of games you know, too. it's like low interest rates. I mean, at what point do you want to sell your soul out there, right? You, we might be able to have 
you know, a lot of lot more back in the game episodes about people who lose all their money gambling that you can try and help. Uh, that's the one downside to, to to this, and you got to be careful. I mean, it's small amounts, but the engagement every play I'm, I'm in on now. In, yeah, in college. and so it, it's a blowout. You're still paying attention because if you have a well, that just makes me mad that I'm so stupid to bet on, to bet <laughs> you, on the crappy. You gamble more football or baseball? Uh, I haven't done baseball yet, uh, because it was recent. DraftKings, I just, just signed up. joined about two, two months. three months ago, and I put in $500. I'm at, I'm at 400 and I'm kicking ass. Okay. Because I'm only, at, I've been down, lost, I've been up. I yeah. only lost 20%. <laughs> That's the show for today. On our rundown tomorrow, Tom Friedman, the New York Times columnist. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. Confusing, daunting, and changing all at once. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.